This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Paul. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of finding out amazing new places, new civilizations, and incredible dangers in the Fringeworthy universe. We've been having a lot of discussions about power centers and things that are out there on the fringe pads that you might run into. And we're going to add to that now some of our ideas of some sample power centers, civilization nexus, whatever you want to call it, where some race, some civilization has found out about the fringe paths and has gone out to exploit it, much like IDET has done, but with their own spin because they're not IDET. They're not the UN. They can be much, much different than IDET. Each of us has their own take on it, and we're going to basically do round robin and ask each other questions and try to get you to see a really cool idea for a, not just a single world for you to explore or a single world for you to deal with, but actually a collection of worlds. Your IDEPT, especially in the late campaign, is going to have to deal with this other competing civilization, the other trans-dimensional civilization. Hey, is an expo world, is that a prime or an alt? Um, they were mostly on alts, as I saw them. Expo worlds were always primes, but small distribution worlds could be alts. But I, I'm looking at the table we had, and basically expo worlds only occurred on primes. Okay, All right, that's fine. Well, now that we know you can insert a key and rotate gates, mm-hmm. what you thought before, yeah, no, nuh-uh. These Dantini are at that Commonwealth tech level before the fall. They're talking to you, and it's it's as if you go down the hallway to the 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 computer IT services department, and you're saying, "Hey, I've got this problem with my computer," and they're giving you the solution as if you'd know how to implement it. Yeah, and they're and they're not saying, "Have you turned it on and off yet?" No, they're talking about hack, uh, hacking registry and making changes to the key registry keys and stuff like that. Right. So here, take take this jump drive, and it'll replace your operating system. I'm sure it'll be better than whatever it is you have. But they would assume you'd know how to do that, and they would assume you understand the the science behind it, that you would get it. Because they're salesmen, they they are going to first try to find out where you're at, and they are familiar with worlds that are out there that have lower level technology and are working their way up to the godlike technology of the Tamelerns. So I'm sure that they would have have a uh, very good 
list of questions to try to, to get them to a really good sense of what it is that you are and what would probably be the first number one thing. Because that's the first thing they said to them was like, so uh, you guys want to live forever? Uh, hey, how about radical regeneration? Is Teleportation. You tried that out yet? It's really fun. <laughs> it's really fun as long as you... As long as you don't, you know, intersect. They're not pushing something on you you may not be ready to use or you couldn't make the best use of. They're not, you're not sending your elderly dad down to get a new car and he comes back with a Shelby Cobra Mustang. That could happen. Yeah, that could definitely happen. Your elderly dad goes back and comes back 20 years old. But he can make use of that. Example of stuff. They sell you something. They give you something. They help you operate something. But you can't make the best use of it. You barely can control it. It's very possible that they would do that because because you'd be going down the road with a big dentini hegemony on the side of that Shelby Cobra, and everybody would be talking about Dad's uh, dentini hegemony car, you know, and Dad'd be like, "Whoa!" But then you know, Dad has no idea how to fix his car, and he has to go to the one dentini hegemony fix-it station that exists on that world at that time, and he has to wait in line to get that done. So. They're not a perfect solution. They're anything but. They try to act like they're benevolent, but they're not really benevolent gods. They're they're out for their own aggrandizement. But at the same time, they are trying to make your life better. Sometimes we'll do a square peg round hole problem situation. And since you're dealing with you're dealing with with thousands of different department stores, more or less. What you get from one may, you know, may not be what you're looking for. That, the, For example, the car. You open up the hood up, you look inside. From one manufacturer, it may just be a black box that drives the car, and you can't do anything with it. The other one, you open up, and you step back and going, okay, it's pulsating, I can hear, and I can hear it breathing. Uh, <laughs> How do they react to somebody who's not impressed? They try to find something that will impress them. If they're megalomaniacs, how, how do they react to somebody who just doesn't care? Just goes, oh, you know, your Bushman or something just goes, oh, okay, that's nice. Just walks away. <laughs> or Queen Vic- or Queen Victoria. It's it's a challenge. They're just going to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. Sooner or later, they'll find something. Their attitude is, I'm sure there's something that you really want, and I'm going to I'm going to keep looking until I can find it. Now, of course, if you start killing their salespeople right and left, they will leave you alone. Well, how about a non-technological node, a magic only? They've got magic, too. Ooh. Well, this is the Expo World. They have everything. So there's a little giveaway, and the Expo World has everything as possible. Any Expo World is a Bureau 13 world. Every Expo World is on a node where most magic and psionics and weird science is going to be supported. And thanks to Richard, tune, tune stuff will be there, too. So you can get a tune hammer. Quite possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Do they advertise like crazy, like McDonald's does? Are they um, looking for every opportunity? Absolutely. Would this group be willing to pay you to wear their logo uh, on on your jacket? They would certainly be willing to do that if if they felt that you were going to really get the word out. And especially since you're fringeworthy and you're one of the few people who can travel – then yes, they would probably outfit you head to toe if you let them do it. They probably have, they probably have fringe capable billboards. So when you get within five nodes of their place, as you're going down going down the pathway, there's billboards floating outside around the pathway, advertising. <laughs> you basically leave in your IDET uniform, come back looking like a NASCAR driver. 
And they're like, what, what is this? You're like, hey, man, leave me alone. I'm making some money. It was free, and it's really soft and comfortable inside, and part of it's purring. I just, I just want to. Yeah. And I never have to change my clothes or take a bath ever again. Um... Oh, you haven't read anything by L. L. Neal Smith, have you? I've read lots of stuff. I'm just saying it. I think that the lack of bathing is overrated because I happen to like a nice hot shower. Sure. You, it, they don't have showers. They step into something and they're covered with a, a nanite level bacteria that eats filth and dead skin and whatnot. And you just come out sparkling clean. Shower in a can. Or you go into the world and, and a huge box of gerbils leaps out and licks you clean. So you have something like a cat that just licks you clean. Feelinoid whirls. There's the there's the cat shower. You never use it more than once unless you happen to like being licked by a six foot tongue. Well, what's wrong with that? It's a it's a cat tongue. It's a cat tongue. It's abrasive. John, John, it, it was a joke. <laughs> John, you could just have your favorite cat bucks clean you. That's right. You go in one end and come out the other, all sparkling clean. <laughs> God. Oh. <laughs> All, all you have to do is climb in this tube. It'll run you through it real quick, and you'll be completely clean. I always like the, the dental thing in, in Farscape where he just runs around his mouth. <laughs> he has to spit it out at the end of it. It's just some little critter that runs around and eats all the plaque off his teeth. Actually, I think the one would would sell well would, would be the uh, Japanese spa in the box. You know, you sit down and you sit and it hit a button and it starts, uh, it's now machines and it turns the area into a Japanese spa, hot spring spa with water and everything. I'm sure that'd be great. Yeah. It's bigger on the inside too. For people who are not otaku, what did you mean? <laughs> oh, uh, hot springs. Uh, the, the, the Japanese are famous for their hot, because they're volcanic island. They have hot springs everywhere and most of them have been turned into baths. It's basically hot tub haven. Yes. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like a Roman bath where you get in, you can scrub, and the water is continuously washed away. There are some baths where the water is constantly refreshed, but it, that is commonplace in Japanese baths to go and scrub down. Like you're supposed to do before you go into a pool, for example. Scrub yourself down, then go into the pool, go into the hot spring, go into whatever, so everyone else doesn't have to share your bodily bacteria. See, John, I think I still think you're thinking too small. I mean, I'm I, I, the whole idea of the Expo world is this is the opportunity for you as the GM and the player, if you let your players, you know, really get into it. Just let their minds go wild and come up with crazy products that that these guys are trying to foist off on you like it's the next best thing. And and not all of them are gonna be useful, but they're gonna be great, you know, great products. Yeah, you, you know. It takes care of your flipper majig. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody needs a flipper majig. Yes. Yeah. And here's a flipper jig, you know. What size do you need? <laughs> if, you, if you think you're so smart, you tell me what color it should be. Anyways, that's my idea of the Expo World. So let's move on to you, John. All right. What have you got for us as a power center? Well, I think this is something I, I actually ran uh, before for another for another game. Actually, it wasn't a fringe of the game, but it was another game that dealt with interdimensional uh, travel. And it was a world, well, where raptors, well, basically, first off, the, 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 the uh, KT-Cretaceous uh, boundary event, the, the mass extinction of dinosaurs never happened. And they okay. just sur- survived to the future, and basically, it's a species of of sapient raptors. 
that have descended from the Utah Raptor line. So they're not the little dinky guys. Utah Raptor stood about four foot at the hip. These guys, yeah, depending on where you're talking, male or female, you're four foot, five foot at the hip, or or six foot at the hip, and about anywhere from twenty foot to twenty five feet long. They're big, and they're and at the time they discovered the fringes, they were Bronze Age Bronze Age culture. Of course, their idea of civilization doesn't match ours because because of their body styles and so forth. They and also because weather's nice in their world. It's always warm and temperate, or if it just or it rains, but it never really gets cold. It didn't go through the ice ages our world went through, uh, mainly because of positional different. You know, India and a few other things didn't hit the same spots, so therefore, uh, rain showers that that help you know help produce coldness in Europe and so forth never happened on this world. So they they actually live in a fairly temperate world. Uh, so their buildings are more or less open. More roofs than roofs and floors than walls. Though they do build walls, and they discovered the fringe portals. Well, there's their their world's a prime, and it was about their city state age that they discovered uh, the portals. So of course they like humans. They're one in one hundred thousand, so only a few were able to go through and invest and and check it out. And it's pretty much became the province of three different city states. Only three of the portals were open. They haven't yet to find any keys to get the other ones open. But the three of the the three city states are positioned such that they really don't compete with each other on this world. They're just far enough far enough apart. There's one on the on the Americas. There's one in Africa, and there's one in in Eurasia. And they're far enough apart, there's really no way they actually can physically compete on the world with each other. So they basically work together on the fringe paths. A bit of a share and share alike. Uh, their alt has alternate, alternate versions of their world, of course. So there's more raptors they can pull from there as well, for uh, in terms of fringe-worthy. Though some are a little bit more violent and some are less violent. And... They're not humanoid, you know. Everyone likes the the, the the dinosaur man that they once proposed. They're not. They're theropods. They look a bit like you know baby T Rexes in, in some sense. So they are covered in feathers. Uh, I actually went looking for uh, pictures of Utah Raptor with with feathers, and yeah, you don't want this guy walking into your room unexpectedly. The human hindbrain. No, 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 no. Uh, there's a great site called Paleo Illustrations, and I found some Utah Raptors on there, and they're just vicious looking. And these guys, their heads are bigger because, well, they have a, a brain the right size for their body, but also makes them intelligent. So they do have big heads. What about two brains? One brain to run systems and one brain to run cognition? The hind brain was more in the, in the sauropods. The sauropods had the hind brain. Uh, the uh, the theropods actually didn't. Theropods, you remember theropods, birds are are, are descended from the. But that would be an evolutionary advantage. These guys didn't get that though. These guys this have the big big four. This the big regular brain they have, and this world is a little. Uh, Greg's example would be Don Dixon's uh, the new dinosaurs. What what the current world looks like. So uh, for a lot of folks, it doesn't look like dinosaurs. It looks like birds. Which sort of makes sense, you know. They, they, they're bronze age, which means they do have fire and they do cook their food, and they do raise uh, ceratopsians, which are the um, d- dinosaurs that uh, triceratops 
descent is in, and also heavy uh, guanodons, which are not, they're they're domesticated animals. That's their food. But they do and they do do agriculture because they gotta feed their food. So they do know how to grow plants, but they don't eat them themselves, at least not directly. So it's a uh, interesting culture. The males are the smaller of the species. They stand about four to five foot at the hip, and they are about 20 foot long. Uh, they mass about a half a ton in weight. So they're big, they're big hummers. The females are the bigger of the species. They will stand upwards between six to six and a half feet tall at the hip. Out, uh, the largest one uh, that anyone would encounter would be about close to 30 feet long. They're just huge. In this culture, the male it's a it's a matriarchal society. The females run the biz, run everything. Uh, the males are the ones off who basically are working in the uh, doing all the other work. And also, the males are the ones that raise the kids. So this is a uh, sort of inverse. There aren't as many females. There are males. We don't not quite. I never did decide if this was through natural selection or just the way it happened. Uh, so otherwise, there'd be a lot more battles between over over, mate, over mates in this case. Actually, was, was, was that right? No, scratch that. There is equal, just not every female gets a mate. Uh, the females tend to like harems. So, so John, when you say they're like raptors, are they are they? So they're feathered, right? Are they humanoid shaped, or are they still kind of that lizard shape? They're still that, like I said, they're, they're like T-Rex. You know, they're, it's still that raptor shape. They come from a temperate climate. They don't like the cold weather. They view, they would view Hatsumi as a special kind of hell, just like the Tzio do. But they're not cold-blooded, right? They're, no, they're warm-blooded. Oh, they definitely are warm-blooded. Like they think that, that sores were. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have spread, I would say, over several nodes. I, I um, Some of the early fringe-worthy... When they got to a, when they get to a human world, there'd be two reactions, you know, dragons and they, they they may not come back, or dinosaurs and they may not come back from that one. So, but initially, they after after a few encounters like that, they first figure out which ones they need to ignore, which were the the more lower tech worlds. In, in this case, they started going out and hitting the higher tech worlds because the people there at least would stop. And they would and they would realize that they're talking and they're speaking our language. Well, they do have lips, but not the same kind of lips humans have. So some words would be harder to say. And 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 talking to actually, I actually got a talk to, chance to talk to not 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 Bacher, uh, the other the other paleontologist, the guy who, who found the uh, T Rex, um, who found the um, oh I can't remember his name. He's another famous paleontologist. But he said, you know, they probably, they probably wouldn't actually hiss. They would, uh, Sylvians would be hard for them because they don't have lips Hug like we would and have. screech so and they, squeak and growl. Yeah, pop Click. and pop and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. so they could they well, can do peas mo- would be tough. Yeah, peas would be tough. Though they could probably sort of fake, they could probably fake those. But yeah, they still could, but they, they, at least they, they could speak the language in a sense. I'd say they could probably produce a coughing sound that would approximate the P. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they 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 can they can at least be understood after with some with some listening. <laughs> a place I like to go shopping when I go home 
their mascot is a minor bird, and Billy does a pretty good rendition of just about any word you could think of, and he, and he's a, a minor bird. He doesn't have the human vocal apparatus, but he can mimic anything. Yeah, and I would imagine they could figure out a way to make a p, p sound. So yeah, you know the p sound. I do recall he does make a p sound, but I think it's a sound he replicates down in the larynx, not with lips and a tongue. I, I as a kid, I learned ventriloquism, and the letter you can't say without moving your lips is the letter b. So you use the letter d instead. So you got practice making the making the D sound sound like a, like the B sound, <laughs> but they still can talk. And they and on the higher tech worlds, they realize they're talking they're talking dinosaurs. Let's talk to them, see what they're what they're, what they're about. And on the lower tech worlds, they're dragons. They're be meant to be killed, and they're talking. They're talking dragons. We really got to kill them right now. Hey John, they're feathered birds. Instead of dragons, you have Quetzalcoatl. They're gods. In a Mesoamerican uh, culture, they probably would be considered gods. They wouldn't mind that. <laughs> and at Thanksgiving, they'd be considered dinner. They still got the toe. Yeah, he comes through and goes, can you? first thing you look at it, goes, can I eat it? And unfortunately, they view most mammals as, well, lunch. Do they rack badly to uh, any other species? I mean, are they hostile to um, primate-originating species or or insect originating species they only met humans so they've dealt with human cultures uh, the first human culture they met was basically the 19 in the in the 1950s i'm just saying do they have some sort of arch nemesis i mean if they ran into the zeal would it be would it would they be automatically hostile to say the zeal it's similar enough to their own species and yet not so they're automatically hostile to zeals are lizards they're they're lukewarm blooded, but there's lizards. That's why I say when they, you know it's recognizable, would they be automatically friendly, or maybe, oh my god, this is a threat to us, and be automatically hostile. You have to get a sense of scale on these guys. A male raptor, which is the smaller of the species, is twenty foot long. One can come in my room in my apartment, and he would. Basically, his tail would touch the back wall. His snout would be against the front wall unless he unless he were to hunch down and try to sit. Uh, right, but I'm saying that, you know, a threat to T-Rex was the smaller egg-eating dinosaurs. Well, they were a threat to anyone who laid eggs, yeah. That would make them automatically hostile. Because so there was the, the, the curse of thieving mammals, egg-sucker mammals. They still have mammals in their world, and those mammals are egg-suckers. <laughs> Suck eggs. <laughs> and initially, they went out there with Bronze Age technology, but as they as has progressed, they've you know you can spot the fringe where they, uh, raptors because they they now wear our body armor when they go to some of the less friendly worlds. They carry firearms that have been manufactured for their three fingered hands. They have two fingers and one opposable thumb with claws on them, so they actually could, you know, give you a D4 cut if they hit you with them. By the uh, hegemony, probably. We'll sell you anything! <laughs> right, and, you know, most uh, weapons that are designed for winter warfare because they're designed to be used with mittens would work very well with these people. 
And like I said, they still have the the, the, the switchblade toe. While they still cook their meals, there is the passage into adulthood where the teenage raptors have to go out and bring something down and bring it back for dinner. And they're not allowed to take weapons. They got to do it the old-fashioned way. You know, hunt it down and, 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 then, and then gut it with their claws. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a... Teenage Raptor. <laughs> teenage Raptor. Yeah, doesn't quite work. It's a Teenage Raptor. But the way they view the other, the other species they've run into, even the other, the alt versions of the of the of themselves, they view them mostly as clients or servants. I mean, especially the the big females. The big females, if you're not if you're not bigger than than she is, you're her servant. Or you're her enemy. One or the other. You better make up your mind quick, because you're tasty. <laughs> so it's just like the human world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only, the, only these folks do eat you. <laughs> they actually actually do eat you. Yeah. And usually their teams are usually, are usually a harem. You know, it's a female, and she's found other friends worthy, and she's convinced them to be their, be their mates, and they go out as a group. It's a family unit. Now they do have the problem that because they lay eggs, uh, but the only time they actually could get a fringe-worthy uh, through through passages is when the eggs are still inside of her and there's an embryo in there. Then that then I would imagine that would be enough for the uh, gates to make those eggs fringe-worthy. But other, other than that, once they get to a certain point, I think those eggs stay behind uh, and don't get, become fringe-worthy. So I, I think it's going to be a point where the eggs are not viable enough to be laid. Would be the key, would be that point. They're they're still forming the the hard shell, but there's an embryo in there, waiting to be, waiting to get a shell around it. So I think once they figure that one out, they'll you know they'll you know know when to go through and make the, and make more fringe worthy. Um, but yeah, they travel in, in harems usually about you know four you know between four to six six of them, one big female and several males, and they would go and they go and explore. Uh, a lot of times they just explore, and if they don't find anything they, they want, which is usually technology, because even though they may be walking around with machine guns and, and pistols and stuff like that, their world's still Bronze Age. As Trav would point out, it's a big jump from Bronze Age to firearm technology and, and you know modern-day technology. So it's it's slow, and it, as Bruce has mentioned earlier, there's that bottleneck. You only got a twenty five foot portal or to put things through, and they can't build anything that, that they bring back. So it's definitely go out and grab something and bring it back, or trade with the humans. And what the humans have found that they what they really like from the from the, from their world are their food animals. <laughs> I mean, once you have dinosaur, you don't want anything else. It's like chicken, only it's big and it can feed. It can feed. A, it can feed six different families, you know, for a week. So they they bring them through their they bring them through dead, so they can't breed them. They're they're not that stupid, but they do they do bring uh, food through uh, and uh, and sell them to the humans for you know for basically uh, things they can use back home. Uh, now most human stuff doesn't work for them, you know. Computers, yeah. Uh, three finger typing, I don't think so. <laughs> but other things are, you know, they find other things have, you know, useful like vehicles. Uh, though raptors, 
can't, you know, because he grew up in a, in a temperate climate, and the one, especially the ones in the, in the Americas grew up actually in a, in a semi-arid climate. Walking 50 miles without water, not a problem. They don't actually have uh, the problem we would have with walking 50 miles without water. They actually have, uh, the, at least the, the ones from North America, are used to going for long distances before they get a drink. But isn't the environment on the French path itself too cold for them? It's in the 60s. It'd be chilly, yeah, and they, they don't have that. They don't have the body fat that we would have on them. They, they do have body fat, but not in the thick layers. I'm just wondering if they wouldn't get hypothermic before they made it to the next node. No, they put on their jackets. Oh uh, well, actually, uh, we did solve that one. They, basically, when they first were encountered in this other game, uh, the humans made them coats. <laughs> I imagine that, you know after a while they realize okay we need something to keep us warm we but they don't have fur, big fur bearing animals like we do but they have big feather buried bearing animals so I can see them out there hunting things down and it'd be a it'd be a big big feathered coat to be wearing basically on the in, you know, with the feathers on the inside feathers are great for heat regulation they're fantastic for heat regulation and remember they had, they had feathers on they had feathers on themselves too. But yeah, yeah. But the extra feathers would probably help. So if they were to have a vehicle, and I'm being serious, I'm not joking with this one. I think a motorcycle would a a, a modified motorcycle, modified for their size, would be what they would what they would drive. I'd make it a trike. The reason why I'm saying a motorcycle is is because they got that big long tail that sticks out of the back, right? So they can't sit in a seat the way we do, but they could, you know, like a crotch rocket. I mean, that's just like a natural position for them. Their chair would be something like a saddle. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Like like a motorcycle seat. Oh, the Mercedes-Benz motorcycle. Remember that one they built that was just with a V12 engine on it? Oh, yeah, right, right. Something like that would be about appropriate, only a, bit, a little bit longer. Make it about uh, make it about 10 foot long. That way they can rest their entire body on it, and they can just put their hands up on the handlebars, and they can drive that thing. They can form their own motorcycle gang. Yeah, we're the Raptors, baby. <laughs> For them, they'd actually, they actually they use benches for wrench for resting, but they just walk over the bench and then lay on it. Mm-hmm. They don't have chairs; they lay on benches. You know, so then you know any vehicle you build for them would have to be designed to deal with the fact that they, they lay on the bench. Uh, but they could probably hell, I can see it now. They don't need to actually use their foot to press the pedal; they use their big toes to press the pedals. Sure. <laughs> the, <laughs> You know, so you got to make sure they're made all of metal or at least covered in thick rubber so they don't get cut by the, to- by the claws. The, the, the close-by worlds, they consider client states. The people living there don't think they're client states, but, you know, that's, you know, the, the, the raptors really don't care what they think at this point. <laughs> From their point of view, uh, you're, you're our clients. You provide us with things we need, and we provide you with food. You're our client. You know, and that's all they worry about. <laughs> and there, it's and it's being controlled by three different city states, and their ultimate goal is to get enough gear to become nations, because they've seen what nations can do on some of these alter, alternate worlds, and they want to become nations, not just city states. They want to control large areas of land. So their main goal is to gather as much stuff as they can. And basically distribute and ultimately figure out how to make it themselves. 
and actually that's one reason they may consider revisiting the lower tech worlds because those worlds are actually closer to their technology than their than the high tech worlds are. It, trouble is the high tech worlds are ooh shiny. You know they're really shiny. They look better, but the trouble is they can't making this stuff. They have to you know they have to go get more when they run out. And I would imagine dealing with them. I mean the first time you would encounter these guys, I think the first thing you do is make a fear check. They come walk into the portal, onto the you know, and you got a fringe rate team on there. The first thing the fringe rate team would do is make a fear check because the little, like I said, the the little monkey hindbrain in your head is screaming dragon, <laughs> and you gotta keep yourself from shooting. Make a fear check, otherwise you either run run screaming or you pull your gun and start shooting. I'm thinking claws and teeth, man. <laughs> Yeah, and considering that they are like you know twenty foot long, you know they're, they're bigger than your the, the the females the size of your Muscovy. <laughs> Best to shoot first and ask questions later. Which means they probably have a they probably have a protocol for because because this probably has happened at least on the worlds they've gone to. So they probably <laughs> have a protocol. Yeah, send send the smallest male through first. He holds his claws up and says, "Friend, friend, friend," <laughs> and whatever language he's been gifted with, and hopefully no one shoots him. <laughs> And then they bring the rest through. <laughs> He's the one wearing the jacket with the big peace symbol on it. Hey, brother. <laughs> well, from their point of view, red red is a is a good color. Oh, it's not a good color for us. Yeah, and green is the uh, color of the forest. That's where the animals eat. <laughs> their feathers are in different patterns. So you know, the ones that grew up in they grew up in the arid desert. Their their feathers are in more of a desert camel p- pattern. The ones from Eurasia are more in a uh, forest pattern. The ones from, and the ones from Africa are more in a uh, some of them are in a, uh, it's a mix. There's some in desert. There's some in a uh, jungle. I would call it jungle pattern. So does that that create sort of species and racial differentiations among them? Yeah. Oh yes. I mean the you know the 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 thing is the Utah Raptor arose, which is their their parent arose in the, in North America. So basically North America is where they came from. So they've been separated enough that they, that they, uh, that, that interbreeding actually is not possible. They've been separated for a couple million years before they found each other again. Would you have things like, Hey man, we don't trust the greens. They're they're The, the greens are they're They're not trustworthy. Yeah. You guys are saying you know, Eurasia, Africa and North and the Americas are three different separate continents unlike it is on our world where africa is you can sort of get to africa uh you may have to skip over a couple rivers and, and a couple bays here and there but you can easily get the africa on their world africa is n- is not in the same position it's a different position there's a yeah it does not join the middle east and india is off someplace else in the middle of the pacific just wondering are they fighting wars against each other based on species and culture well, right now they're working together because the technology level is still Bronze Age, and to cross the ocean to get to one place or the other is technically impossible. They don't have the, the navigational or shipbuilding abilities right now to even cross the oceans to be even a minor threat. So the three sea states basically are at peace with each other because they know they can't affect each other. They're all out there with their family groups trying to find technology and bring it back to their city-state. So yeah, uh, overflights with drones and so forth may happen, but you know, uh, no one's yet been able to build, build an aircraft that can be piloted by a um, 
shades of Calvin and Hobbes uh, by a, by one of the by these reactors yet. <laughs> okay, um, how are they with colonies? They're taking through females who are laying clutches of eggs on habitable enough worlds. Yeah, I mean, if there's an empty world and and, they, and there's a good food source, yeah, they'll set up shop. You know, the females said, "This is my place now." And they'll set up shop and they'll start, you know, raising youngins and try to convince others from their, from their city state to settle here and start breeding youngins. Or from one of the alts that are compatible. Start breeding youngins and start claiming that world for their own. The city states do have some command because there is this matriarchal line of descent. So you do have, you know, the queen of the city uh, still can command respect amongst, amongst her daughters and her granddaughters and so and so forth. So they have a pack mentality? They don't have a hive one, but they have a pack sort of mentality? Yes. But now, how differentiated are they between, is there alpha, beta, or, or does it go alpha, beta, theta, gamma, you know, in a sort of pecking order? A literal pecking order? I would say most of the city-states are monarchies. But they're, you know, fe- you know females come first. Amongst the females, so I'm sure that in this case, males... Aren't really allowed an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> or lesser females sterile or just by tradition design not allowed to choose a mate. So if you have a theta female, she's only a hunter, only a servant, only a scout, only an explorer, but she will never lay a clutch of eggs. More than likely, unless, of course, she, you know, gets it behind the woodshed with one of the, with a loose male. You never know. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, yeah, well, if a, if a low-class female were to be, were to be found pregnant, uh, first off, they find out who it was, and then both of them would be killed. Either that or they make her eat her own eggs. Because there was a, a sci-fi novel I read from, um, I don't think it was Weber, but it was a Bolo series novel where... The, the species they were up against was was a lizard type species with a dominant females and a base eight numbering system. And the males actually were not; they were sentient but barely intelligent. They were drones. Yeah, the males of the species are are just as intelligent as the females. Uh, mostly, it's the picking order is determined mostly by size. I mean, it comes right down to if you're a theta female, you're probably going to be on the short end of the of the side scale. The queen of the queen of each city state probably is about thirty to thirty two feet long, and probably masses two tons or more in size. Is it about the the plumage and the and the mating ritual? You know, fluffing her feathers and and doing the straps. She's the the biggest hen in the in the in the roost. You know, when it goes, really comes right down to it, and of course, it means her daughters are the next are, are going to be of similar size. So, okay, so are the females fighting duels? There's not inter- there's not family warfare going on because that's sort of like ends up with 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 empty cities. Yeah, they have a pecking order. They also have developed social means to defuse the sort of thing. Now, of course, when the when the queen gets too old. Where she can't actually, you know, properly display and properly, you know, you know, well, shut down, shut down any, any descent. One of her daughters is going to challenge for her position. And she say it's a it's a Bronze Age technology. Is it a Bronze Age culture? So do they really have those sort of social loss and controls. 
can can one of her daughters challenge her to a duel at any time? Her mother will probably be bigger and better, and and if she's worth her salt, she will basically she won't kill her daughter, but she'll probably you know take her down you know take her down a notch and basically count coup on her. But what happens to that daughter once? Does that daughter ever get the chance to challenge again? Is or is she permanently re- removed from challenging? No, basically the, the most the, most of these queen mothers are basically grooming her her daughters to replace her. It's like Highlander the movie. There can only be one. Yeah, so eventually she'll get to the point where she won't be able to back, you know, defeat the challenger, and that one becomes the queen, and the queen mother just basically goes off, and her harem probably comes with her because basically they're they, they're just too old at that point. Usually it happens past the age when they can't lay eggs anymore. It's, that's usually when the big challenges start happening. She can't make more daughters. Is there their own separate? pecking order amongst males are they fighting to be first drone like any species each male wants to make sure that his that his genetic line gets gets reproduced so yeah there's a pecking order amongst them though with the queen it's a bit chinese in some aspect in, in that every male gets a chance and there's other daughters keeping track of who's who, who's getting to bedtime with the with the queen that night and then they know who who belongs to what clutch of eggs when they get when they actually when they realize she's pregnant. And so this sounds like a multi-layered Machiavellian scheme where daughters are jostling each other for first position, and males are jockeying for first position, and each one is sabotaging the other. It could be a way that it's holding them back. Actually, most males are probably going to be in a harem. It's very rare that you're going to have a free male floating around. It's sort of like the inverse of, of like lions. You have the the lion and his harem, and then his cubs. And the male cubs grow to a certain age, and then either they challenge dad for the for the for position, or they leave, fend for themselves, or hopefully find another harem to the shop in. This is sort of like the inverse of that, because technically, if they're like some like some animals. The queen can give birth to a clutch of eggs, and you realize, okay, those feathers look like they came from that male, and those feathers look like they came from that male. I'm just wondering if they don't have sort of a very ritualized um, one-on-one combat that's open, open and acknowledged that you can challenge somebody to a duel or something like that, and there's a set set of rules for that. But at the same time, there's an underlayer underneath that where there is an unspoken, if you don't openly acknowledge it, if you don't say anything about it, we recognize that so-and-so has knifed the other guy in the back in a dark hallway and so-and-so has slipped strychnine into the, into the hors d'oeuvres and given the ambassador from the other city-states a poisoned mouse kind of scheming going on. Oh, there's probably that going on, too. I mean, yeah, yes, each of the three three states realize at some point they're going to have to challenge the other two for for dominance. But right now, they're they're sort of in this cotton, in, the, in this, you know, um, three-way tripartite alliance. Germany, Italy and Japan, basically, when it comes right down to it. They're, each one wants wants a piece of the pie, and none of them want to be Italy. <laughs> you know, 
And it's going to be a big decision who's going to go after who. Nobody wants to be Italy when got Ethiopia. And the thing is, is that Africa is closer to Eurasia than it is to America to the Americas. So you know who would be Italy at that point, either Africa or, or, or Eurasia. While the Americans would be happy, happily being the Japanese over in their, in their area. <laughs> What's the matter, you? You don't want to be Italy. <laughs> no, but it, but it comes down to that, yeah, it, it's a stable right now because, they, because they're all sort of working together. But it's, you know, only for now. At, at some point, when one gets weapons that they actually can reproduce... And the technology that allows them to cross the oceans in in mass, then that, then things will change. But right now, the best they could probably do is send like drones over. Uh, but because there's no space, you know, there's no satellites in orbit, the drones are going to have to be like shortwave controls, and that's really problematic. Shortwave control over a long distance. If you can't get the bounce, you lost connection, and that drone goes wiki 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 off someplace else. So they really can't. Uh, threaten the other the other uh, city states um they also in some cases don't know where they are i mean they know they're that direction but they don't know where that direction you know what i'm saying you know is eurasians are they are they in uh europe or are they all more closer to uh you know china you know where you know where exactly are they and the same thing with the africans are they you know are they in, in the middle of the continent or are they are tw- up 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 farther up Ditto for the for the American for the American city state. They have approximate ideas where they are, but they really don't know where they are exactly. <laughs> yeah, so there, there's those kinds of problems you gotta deal with. You know, they have to deal with. And like I said, you know, if they were to meet the uh, meet Unita, uh, Unita and the IDET teams. The first thing was one determine are, are you know are you are you enemies. And if you're not enemies, then are you an egg, egg eater? Yeah, are you egg eater. Uh, if you're not, then what can you give us? In, in that aspect, they're much more merc- they're much more mercenary at that point. You know, what can you give us? You know, we, we'll be your friends as long as you can give us good things. <laughs> and when you stop giving us good things, then you're no longer our friend. <laughs> Very reptilian in that aspect. Well, we hope that you guys have, our listeners, have been enjoying this discussion of possible power centers. And, of course, this is just a tiny, tiny possibility. It's, it's what's going to jazz your players is what you need to pay attention to if you're the GM. And if you're a player, give ideas to your GM, things you really want to do so that you come up against the kind of group that you really, really want to do. Try to keep it realistic. Try it in the sense that try to make sure all the parts work. Make it a, a place that's different enough. We don't want any monocultures uh, so that you can uh, find interesting things to do on any of the worlds that are in that power center. A little espionage, a little Machiavellian stuff is never a bad idea. And, hey, throw some romance into it while you're at it. Because after all, those alien princesses and princes need to be rescued, don't they? Yep. Even if they are thirty foot long and have and have big sharp pointy teeth. But I'm sure that you could you could make it work if you really wanted to. But that's gonna have to wait until next week. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, 
hate the players. And this is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.